Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Jillian is, is one of the many struggling filmmakers in Los Angeles who can't seem to get the money together for their first feature. Feeling like her friends and her partner are losing faith in her abilities, she decides to resurrect an abandoned documentary based on a pseudo-compliment she once heard that she would make a good murderer. But while she documents what makes the perfect murder, a hitherto unseen dark side of Jillian emerges and grows. And that's where I'm going to leave it. The film is called I Blame Society. And we're joined today by the director and lead actor in the film, and that would be Jillian Wallace Horvat. Jillian, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, I, after reading a bit of the backstory on the making of this film, it's, there's a remarkable amount of meta kind of information in the explanation for the film. Uh, I'll let you explain sort of what the genesis of the film project was. I was... Um having uh, drinks with some friends once and uh, they told me that I they thought I would make a good murder and uh, I definitely took it as a compliment because I think when anybody tells you that you're good at something it's a compliment and in our conversation you know we were, they, we were talking about the qualities that do make a good murder having a, a vision of uh, you know your project and uh, understanding what your resources are and uh, being able to improvise around any obstacles and most importantly having the courage of your own convictions that what you're doing is worthwhile and and being able to see it through to the end uh, those are the qualities that make a good murderer but they're also the qualities that make a good filmmaker right so seeing you know forming that connection i found that very intriguing and that's kind of what launched me to make a uh, an earlier version of the project which was a short documentary where i i found uh, you know I, I got together some friends and colleagues and family members and i took them to various murder locales like the middle of the forest or the docks or i interviewed an ex-boyfriend of mine in an empty parking lot in the from the back seat of a car and i asked them if they thought that I would make a good murderer and why. And so I finished the, the short documentary, but I wasn't, I wasn't in love with it. I thought it was cute, but um, I just didn't, didn't think it was substantial enough. And then eventually um, like flash forward three years later, I'm on this journey of trying to make another film, uh, a different feature with my producers. And we're kind of being frustrated by, um, some of the experiences that we were having trying to, to, to raise the money for it and also feeling like the stigma of being a first-time filmmaker was much more severe for, for women than it is for men. There's something about men where it's easier for people with money to trust them, uh, even if they're untested or, you know, have, for example, like less experience or, or less awards or prestige or whatever I bring, I was bringing to the table. I kind of mentioned to them this, uh, you know, the old I murderer project more in the context of just like telling them that I was a maniac and that I, I didn't done this thing. And they thought it was really interesting. And 
they found some of the imagery like very provocative. And so we kind of built this idea that I would take the, the footage from that short documentary and finish it as a narrative where me playing myself, I you know am so frustrated by the film industry that I end up killing people. Were you always intent to play the, in, play this part? Was this something you had envisioned from the beginning or? Well, if I was going to use the, the footage from the documentary, oh, I would have to, yeah. but, um, and, and originally the way we planned it, there was going to be, that was going to be a bigger part of it. But um, our editor was, you know, she actually just really liked the new stuff that we shot. So she didn't use as much of it. I think it's still, it's, it's, an, it's interesting. It segues it into in a into a kind of dialogue that I'm interested in of um, narrative documentary hybridity. Uh, being able to do that, I think, is, is interesting. I love the film. There's so many things about a film project like this. It can go off course. There's so many ways in which something like this can fall apart, kind of collapse under the weight of its own sort of premise. But it's your character. It's your ability. To, there's just enough of the believability in that you won't do this that that you wouldn't be this person there there is something in their character you created where it ratchets up the creep factor in it as well this sort of you i you know to to watch you on screen you think no th this isn't going to end up where she's talking about and yet it does. And I, I think it, it's a real tension in not only the character and our expectations for that character and then what you're capable of doing. And also at the same time, it is a satire. It's a satire of the industry as well. So there's a number of factors in here that would that complicate it in a way, but it's an uncomplicated story the way you tell it. Does that make no, sense? I, Am I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. You know, to, to me, it kind of it all, it seems inevitable that she would, you know, end up feeling pushed so far, especially after, you know, the, the point in the film where she commits her first manslaughter. It's kind of like, you know, the seal is broken. You know, she accidentally on purpose, accidentally um, kills somebody that she cares very much for. And so at that point, I think it's, it's, you know, inexorable that she would go forward and just kill people that she hates. This is your first feature film, as you were saying, but uh, mm -hmm. you did also um, a really fun and funny um, short film called Kiss Kiss Finger Bang, which, uh, which I thought there's, there's this comedic sensibility that you have that I think carries over from that project into this. And it is the it's the the tension that you're able to create in a scene. You're able to do this throughout the film, create this tension within these different scenes. And again, even though over a period of time in watching the film, you get to kind of have an expectation of what's going to happen. It's your ability as a filmmaker and in this character to create this this feeling that maybe it won't happen. Right? Was that uh, was that is that. Is that something that I'm just reading into, or just something you were con you were constantly aware of in the making of the film? Did you? No, I, I like that. No, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. It's it's really nice. Um, I think that I, I do hope that you know there is there is suspense, you know, for the audience when they watch the film to see 
if I will really go there and then to, you know, to kind of enhance their, their, their viewing pleasure as, you know, playing with that suspense and then giving them a satisfaction when I do. One of the key elements in the film, and it sort of sets things in motion, are that when you meet with these two guys from, I'm not sure if it's a, it's not a studio exactly, where, where are the two guys who give you your, your orders to, if you can do this, we might do that. Who, who are they? Is it just some film company or a production company? Or Yeah, they're supposed to be like a, a hip indie production company. Yeah, and right. those guys are like two producers, or as we call them, producers. <laughs> Sure, just all too very prevalent. Because I I have to know, because I've spent enough time talking to filmmakers, uh, I have a feeling that those those guys are not too terribly far removed from people that you might have met in the industry. No, no. And, you know, um, I think it's also a fair enough portrayal of them that they're that they those men would watch themselves and like be like, but I didn't do anything wrong. Like that. That wasn't bad. You know, and I and I I think that's kind of like the the balance of the tone with the satire of like, it's, uh, you know, it's ludicrous, but it's not any more ludicrous than anything that really does happen in meetings. And I, and I definitely didn't even, you know, go nearly as far as I could have in terms of like stories that I've heard, you know, of people just being ridiculously tone deaf and insulting and, and those kinds of things, but it's kind of, they're an amalgamation of, of things that I've experienced and, um, and also my producers, I mean, some things are, you know, just like really taken from real life. I remember the first meeting that I ever had when I moved to LA, I feel like the first 10 minutes of it were somebody just telling me how very New York I was and really just like breaking down, like how New York I looked and uh, how New York I dressed. Um, I can tell you I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a cardigan. Apparently it was like you know, I might as well have been walking around wearing a big apple or something. And it's ridiculous because I, I just went to film school in New York. I didn't I didn't really live there per se. I mean, I worked full time while I was going to school. Um, so maybe I kind of absorbed it that way. Yeah, I think it was just, I don't know, people waste your time in meetings. They're full of shit. They don't want to admit that they didn't read your script. Right, exactly. Well, I do want to remind our listeners that we're talking with the director and writer, as well as the lead actor in this terrific film called I Blame Society, and that would be Jillian Wallace Horvat. Where did you develop, or where does your sense of humor come from? Are, are you this kind of fine line that I've been talking about with your character, but you have a sensibility in these two projects that I've seen from you. Where do, where do, you, where do you draw inspiration from? Um, you know, I watched a lot of Mel Brooks growing up, so I think that is kind of where my love of satire comes from. You know, I think Blazing Saddles is one of the best movies ever made. And uh, I think it also, uh, I think it also creates a, a rhythm in my films where I, you know, there's a lot of jokes, which is weird because in, there's so many comedies where they tell you it's a comedy, but there aren't a lot of jokes in them. And I, and I can't believe the, the hypocrisy and the marketing where they're like, you're laughing on the inside. It's, you know, I, well, I don't laugh on the inside. I only like actually laugh. So uh, I think that definitely comes from it. So I feel like there's like, there is like a Yiddish sensibility through everything I do in that, in that sense. But I also, the older I got, the more I learned about dark comedies and satires, the more I appreciated those because I feel like they're just more, 
they're more engaging and it's more visceral when people are are more provocative. So, um, you know, a lot of my favorite comedies are really dark. Um, things like uh, Heather's and To Die For. And uh, I was just thinking about Pretty Poison the other day, like the, you know, films, films like that or Bitter Moon. You know, also there's a little, uh, for me personally, there's a little bit of Albert Brooks <clears throat> in, <clears throat> in this film, in the sense that your character is prone to explaining things about what they're thinking. Huh. Albert Brooks's films tend to be a lot of sort of internal dialogue externally expressed, right? And I feel like in some ways your character is is about that as well. And and honesty, there's a real honesty, again, that I think helps sort of feed into this idea of the tension that I've been talking about in the film. There's a point after the accident that happens in which you're talking to your your boyfriend, Keith, that is truly pretty frightening. I mean, it's a really, and his reaction to it is exactly what I would have expected to hear from someone who's hearing this. I thought that particular scene was really important to the film and really important in terms of you being able to tell the story the way you wanted it. You needed hit that part of, it. you needed someone like Keith in your, in your life. And, and to be able to kind of say, are you sure that this, you know, basically this is where you're going. And so I, I just really, I really, really drawn to that. Was that an important scene as far as you're concerned in terms of the story and the telling of the story? Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly the scene um, after she does her makeover and uh, you know, we yeah. see her for the first time transformed um, into this new Jillian. The hair post, and, yeah. Yeah. Post breakdown. And, you know, she is, she's really devastated that Keith is not supportive of her in any way that he doesn't like the way that she, she looks after her, her new makeover, the, you know, the new clothes, the new blonde haircut that he, you know, he also is unsupportive of her continuing to uh, try and make her documentary about the murdering thing. He thinks that it's really inappropriate that she would continue. And I think that what she's, she's so she's so pushed to the edge already at that moment after witnessing her best friend die in front of her whether it was her fault or not it was very traumatic and so for him to to pile on she doesn't hear the actual words that he's saying in that sense she doesn't hear the good points that he's making she just picks up on his disappointment in her and his confusion as to who she is and she wants to feel close to him and she wants to feel loved after what she's been through so the fact that he increases the distance is really hurtful so you know when I wrote the scene and when I played it I really like felt her her sadness and her embarrassment her resentment of him even as like the dialogue in itself is is funny and the the you know the the things that play out in that scene are funny and Keith's reactions are really funny. There's a balance to, you know, the humanity of like, if you've ever been in a relationship and felt that you were disappointing somebody and kind of hated them for making you feel that way, like that's a real thing. What's been the reaction to the film or what about the reaction to the film has either surprised you, encouraged you, disappointed you? What? It, because I imagine, I'm guessing that you have heard a wide range of different reactions to the film. Um, yeah, I mean, I expected it to be polarizing, like everything 
everything that I do is, is pretty polarizing. So um, I'm glad that people aren't ambivalent about it. I think that would be the deepest insult if, if somebody was like, yeah, it was fine. You know, it was okay. I feel really happy when people love the film. I also kind of gloat when I feel like it's upset people, you know, that especially when it, you know, upsets like a certain, you know, a certain kind of uh, person who feels like the film is, you know, unfair or misguided or it, it cracks me up when people think that it's unbelievable you know what she does it's basically like usually men saying like I don't think she has a good enough reason to be angry and I think that in the end like they make my point for me yeah yeah I have to tell you uh, I wasn't sure how I was feeling about the film for a, for about I don't know what percentage of the film I was watching it but there's a point at which I really embraced it. And I think part of the the first part of the film, I'll say the first third, just for randomly say that, but there's a part of the film that you need to break down the audience a little bit. And then once that happens, at least this is my reaction. And once you embrace it, it's really funny and it's really telling. And there's a lot of very smart observations in the film. And I really like. I just like so much about it. And congratulations to you. For your for it, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I thoroughly. I I have to say, once once you start to really just take it for what it is. This is the film, and I find so often with filmmakers, particularly for filmmakers, we don't know yet. That's a tough hurdle to overcome, right? We don't know your work. We don't know what your sort of sensibilities are, and this is a great way to start. This is a great way to start because I feel like you can go anywhere you want from here. I think there's a lot, I mean, that really kind of what a great calling card this is for you to really be able to now trust your instincts and be able to move forward with your career. And I, I look forward to having you back on for whatever it is you're going to be doing next. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate that, Mike. You're, you're very welcome. Again, we've been talking with Jillian Wallace Horvat. She is the director of a, and writer and lead actor in this wonderful satire comedy you name it. There's a lot of things going on here. I blame society. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music